0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program was brought to you by Consider Bardwell Farm in Vermont, a producer of award-winning handmade cheese from goat and cow milk. For more information, visit considerbardwellfarm.com.
0: Hi, this is Joe Campanelli, the host of In the Drink. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
2: the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and we're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, October 1st. Happy happy October. And this is the 37th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is an amazing woman who is not only a restaurant owner and chef, but the president of a wonderful women's culinary organization, and I will introduce her shortly. But first, as I do on every show, I will start with my PR tip and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. Today's tip is to be active. Get involved in your industry by attending events, participating in activities, and volunteering. Nowadays, there are so many kinds of meetups, organizations, and networking events. There's something for everyone. So find what interests you and get busy. I believe that the more you put in, the more you get out of it. Cliche, but true. So get active. That's my tip today. Now I'm really happy to have my guest here. It is Barbara Sibley, the owner and chef of La Palapa restaurant in Manhattan's East village, born and raised in Mexico city. Barbara found her way to the big apple to attend Barnard college. She got her first taste of the industry as a coat check girl at La Tulipe restaurant and eventually worked her way up the restaurant chain to chef and owner. Barbara is also the current president of the New York Women's Culinary Alliance, an organization that fosters networking, education, and cooperation for women in the culinary and beverage fields in the New York metro area. So welcome Barbara. Hi Sherry, thanks
1: for having me. It's great to be here. Wonderful to be at Roberta's and Heritage Radio
2: my favorite places. Yes, and I, I just like spending time with you, so this is, this is an awesome excuse. <laughs> really fun. I wanted to get into this background of yours, Coat Check Girl, and, and, how, and then how you furthered your career in the hospitality industry. Well, it's
1: interesting. You know, I came up, I always loved to cook, first of all. Everybody's always like, well, how did you start? Well, you have to love to cook. I think as a kid, I was, I was pretty shy, and I was happier in the kitchen than anywhere else and I really have a lot of very strong memories like I can remember having my first avocado and wondering to know what's the name of this. So um, I grew up in Mexico and the time that I grew up in Mexico was also a time where there were great restaurants and so I did go to a lot of restaurants there I mean the Cardini's Alex Cardini who was the brother of the inventor of the Caesar salad had a restaurant in Mexico City and Uh beautiful places. so I came to New York. I came to college. And actually, at the same time that I was co check, I was also a dishwasher. So I would dish, wash dishes up at the university. And then I would come downtown and, you know, put on my pumps and put coats on people like Lillian Hellman and Richard Avedon and James Beard. And Jacques Pepin was guest chef. And it was, it was a really great, great place. But one of the things that was interesting was it's, um, La Tulipe, was the chef was Sally Dark. Mm-hmm. And Sarah Moulton was the sous chef, ah. so uh, I have great, great mentors, and that I saw early on how women could really succeed in this business.
2: Yes, because side note, Sarah founded the New York Women's Culinary Alliance, so everything ties together. Yeah, just <laughs> yeah, by coincidence, I happened to be there when she was
1: planning on on starting the organization with Maria Rouge. and so. So it's just, it's wonderful the way, you know, I always say nothing, nothing, everything that you experience, you know, becomes who you are, and it all grows from there. Uh, But I just have always loved the restaurant business. I worked in a lot of other restaurants, but I was always cooking my food, my Mexican food for us behind the scenes. And finally, in 2000, it was time to open my own place. And what I really wanted to do was what I was homesick for, to be
2: honest, and for the Mexican food that I felt that I really couldn't get in New York well do do what you know and love and bring Mexican authentic Mexican cuisine here so you opened on St. Marks right right so for people who don't know the East Village and St. Marks i mean what was it like then how would you describe it now well i had already been working in the in the restaurant business in in the
1: East Village for quite a few years um In different, like some, like a small restaurant that was like sort of more Tex-Mex. I helped open something called Telephone Bar and Grill. It was one of the first gastro pubs.
2: I remember it. Uh,
1: Yeah, I worked, and that was owned by Abe Liebowel, who owned the 2nd Avenue Deli, and Rudolf Mosny, who was the owner of of Bandito. So it was like a very neighborhood thing. I mean, the one thing about the the East Village that has always remained is it really is a neighborhood. Uh, People really know you. I mean, it really is a village in that sense. In some ways, I say it's a lot more like my youth in Mexico City now Mexico City is more like LA like you have to drive everywhere but you know in New York in the East Village you really get everything is close by there's such a variety of food and cuisine there was then very different than there is now like back then it was very Polish Ukrainian you know it's still Mm -hmm. a lot of Indian a lot of different things but now you know you have you know amazing amazing farm-to-table restaurants and things in the neighborhood but it still is a it still is is really a, a fun place I mean it's it's so fun to walk around. There's such a diverse, crazy you know, mix of people down there.
2: That's what I find when I'm down there. And just the street itself has character. There's just... The East Village has character.
1: Yeah, and great... I always say we have great ghosts. W.H. Auden lived in the building that the restaurant is in, and Trotsky had his printing press, and all <laughs> oh, those ghosts make, ghosts make really good margaritas.
2: Basically. <laughs> Excellent. Good to know. So at La Lapa, Lapa, what do you... What do you specialize in? I mean, what are your signature dishes? Well, what I do is really what how you would eat in a home in Mexico.
1: I would say that's how I would differentiate La Palapa. It's not really restaurant fare, so things are very handmade. Right now, I'm working on making nixtamal, which is making getting corn. I've I had brought someone. Uh, I've have someone sent me like fifty kilos of Mexican corn, and I'm making my own tortillas and my own tortilla dough from that corn. But that's something that I've been doing all along, and that I make my own cheese. I make my own chorizo. Really, as if you could really be in someone's home in Mexico.
2: Your food is excellent, I, and we were—I was always very spoiled being with the Culinary Alliance, and that we were doing meetings there because your shrimp mole and even your guacamole—it's all so delicious. I was wondering how many avocados you you go through a week or a oh day. Oh my god! Oh my gosh! <laughs> That's a lot
1: A lot That's a lot I um, think of that
2: Whenever whenever I
1: buy avocados I at home <laughs> I, th- I mean I, th- I think it's a little easier Maybe by the week But I, we'd probably go through A few hundred You know Six hundred avocados a week Or something Yeah It's a
2: lot of avocados A lot of avocados A lot of happiness at delicious guacamole Yeah. And even the environment, it's very, it's welcoming. I mean, you created a place that does feel like a restaurant home. Well, for me, it's a a restaurant home. And it's also if I
1: was to open a restaurant, a Mexican restaurant in Mexico City, what would I have done? And that was also one of my missions and that I felt felt and I still do that there's a lot of stereotypical sort of new, I call it New York style Tex-Mex food that's, oh, it's cheesy, it's chips and salsa made with tomato sauce. And I really felt a mission to bring true Mexican food to New York so that people would have a chance to, to really taste the real flavors and also to break the stereotypes. So you're not going to see a lot of sort of Mexican mariachi hats and things. It's really as if, you know, it's, you were in, in Mexico in a patio, just getting ready to have a lovely dinner.
2: Yes, It does sound lovely. It is lovely. And so, what else are you working on? Or actually with the restaurant, I know there's some holidays coming up that you celebrate.
1: Yes, right now, well, with this, this, this nixtamal and the special corn, uh, I'm getting ready to do a special menu for the Dia de los Muertos, which is November <laughs> 2nd. And in Mexico, it's actually about a week long. And the belief in Mexico, it's really a joyful holiday. It's sort of like a joyful melancholy in a way. What is the belief is, and it comes really not from the the Spanish and the Catholic Church, but really from the pre-Hispanic, the Aztec and Mayan traditions. And the belief is that once a year, the spirits come down to visit us. And to do so, then we make paths and we make an altar and an offering because the idea is, is that they eat the spirit of the food and then we eat the real the actual food Mm -hmm. but the really amazing and fun part about it and that is so different is we have to be happy really happy so the spirits leave in peace and Mm and are happy to go back to heaven so it's a really joyful holiday full of wonderful remembrance uh there's some important people i i usually you do it, it's called an, an ofrenda. So it's like an offering. And so it's a big table. And you have on that table everything that the that the people that you're celebrating enjoyed in life. So, you know, I'll have a little dark rum for Gabriel Garcia Marquez. And, you know, I'll have uh, the favorite ring that my mother-in-law, Betty Grice, wore. And I'll have a little bit of tequila for... um Santiago Genovese, or just all these people that we're celebrating. You have pictures, and then you, so then you also have food, all kinds of food on this altar, and it's flowers and candles, and uh, it's great fun. And so at La Palapa, I usually do about four different areas and decorate them. There's also someone who's very near and dear who passed away this year was Miguel Calvo.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: A lot of people in the industry, he worked for So we're definitely going to have a lot of fun making something for him, too.
2: Yeah. It's, it sounds really great. Now for for those of us who don't have that fancy accent that you do. This is Day of the Day, the of, day the of the Dead. dead. Day That's day of the dead. translation. That's the okay. translation. Day of the
1: Dead. So the way it goes it goes uh, there's a few in between, there's a few days leading up we do like all kinds of spiritual things like do cleansings and you know right. all this, we follow the rituals for me it's really what one of the holidays I was really homesick for because it's really different. I mean Christmas is Christmas right. or you know other holidays are the same all over but You know, Dia de los Muertos, Day of the Dead, is very specific. And what's the date? It's around Halloween. It's November, yeah, it's November 2nd. So it's Halloween, then All Souls Day is the first, then it's the second. And for me, then in the kitchen, it's a huge inspiration. Because one of the days, like on Halloween, you're supposed to do everything in miniature because it's like for little for little spirits. And so we make like little tiny baby like tamales and chalupas and little tiny tacos and things like that. So there's, those are always part of the menu. And there's this beautiful uh, calabaza squash that comes up at this time of year. And we do like a pumpkin soup that's special and a pumpkin margarita and, you know, have fun with that. And special moles of the season and we're going to we have this amazing corn that we're going to be working with so for me it's going to be almost like returning to the spirit of the corn and uh each, every year it's, i do a different menu and it's fun and i do it for a couple of weeks so definitely people can not just get it only on the second but at least oh, at least for, t- for like, yeah, a week and a half probably starting the 24th 25th of october and through about the 5th of november so people can come if Come in and try it and experience it. And to me, it's so much fun to share my heritage and you know yeah. have them, you know,
2: people it, have a taste, feel like they've gone on a little vacation. It's wonderful. I mean, the traditions. It, I it's it's. I think it's amazing, and I'm glad you do it beyond a day because I think um, a lot of people would want to experience it.
1: Well, so. it's definitely fun.
2: Well, it sounds fun. <laughs> okay, we're gonna take a little break here. So stay with us. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network.
1: Electric Latin
0: Soul. Today's program has been brought to you by Consider Bardwell Farm
1: spanning the rolling hills of Vermont's Champlain Valley and easternmost Washington
2: County, New York. 300-acre Consider Bardwell Farm was the first cheese-making co-op in Vermont founded in 1864 by Consider
1: Stebbins Bardwell himself. Rotational grazing on pesticide-free and fertilizer-free pastures produces the sweetest milk and the tastiest cheese. All of their cheeses are aged on the farm in their extensive system of caves.
0: Consider Bardwell Farm is also a big supporter of Heritage Foods USA's No Goat Left Behind program.
2: No Goat Left Behind is a serious effort launched in 2011 by Heritage Foods USA, designed to introduce goat meat to American diners and provide a sustainable end market for dairy animals.
1: For more information, please visit www.considerbardwellfarm.com. Welcome
2: back to Only Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Barbara Sibley of La Palapa and also of the New York Women's Culinary Alliance. So, Barbara, let's get into the Women's Culinary Alliance here. How, do, well, when did you join? I've been a member for over 10 years. Okay. That's, and, yeah. Yeah. I, I, wow. I've been a member probably like a dozen years. I think I joined closely, maybe even longer, when I moved to New York. So, and why did you join? Well, I'd always thought it was interesting. I never, I never thought that I would be in the position
1: to be a member, let alone president. And I have to say, <laughs> I've had great past presidents, as you are, uh, because I just, to me, it was the epitome of women in the industry who were doing great things. And of course, since I was there as a co-tech girl, I mean, I never really realized, you know, that I had reached that sort of level. Which so it was very, very. Uh, Amazing to to join because it's quite rigorous. So, the Alliance is composed of about 240 women. It's been around for 32 years and it keeps growing. It's very vibrant, very, um, it's full of challenging and interesting people. And it's, uh, every year its membership is renewal, but membership is contingent on a couple of things. It's not just to like pay your dues and you're on a list and whatever. Really, the founders' idea was to have an organization where people really had to contribute mm-hmm. and had to really, really be active members. So, first of all, to be a member, you have to work, be working, actively working in the industry. But the cool thing is that it's not just chefs, it's not just PR, it's not it's everything. So there's such a depth, both vertical. I mean. There's vertical and horizontal. There's people at all different stages of their careers and in all different areas of the culinary world. So it's writers, editors, food stylists, photographers, people who they specialize in. All they do is create cookbook indexes. So there's all
2: different kinds. Um, Photographers. Yes, I always like the mix of people. And I, I think I joined at the beginning for the networking. I definitely did. and But I stayed because it was not only such a mix of people, but everyone was always very nice. Like there was that cooperation and that camaraderie a great, and yeah. that support. Great that support that you, group.
1: Yeah, definitely a great support group. It's beyond the networking, I would say. Um, and so nowadays, so, that, so there's a membership, and so people who are members have to attend... A certain amount of events and so in having that they actually there they have uh, programs that are fascinating so you can in a given week you can be at Roberta's at a happy hour or something like that mm-hmm. <laughs> and at the same time have uh, a oral history being presented at Fales Library in NYU or have a potluck Traditional, At Traditional, <laughs> which are twice twice a the year they have these potlucks. But can you imagine going to a potluck where 240 of the top women in the industry are cooking? I mean, it is it's heaven. It's the it's best. Not a potluck. It's heaven. Really. No,
2: it's really it's really tra- uh, terrific food because yeah. it's everyone goes all out because they're trying to one up each other too. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> that too.
1: That too. Of <laughs> course. But anyway, it's anyway it's a very vibrant, very interesting organization,
2: and it keeps growing, which is fun. Yes, and you named a bunch of the activities. And w- what would you say is different than from the Culinary Alliance? Than, let's say, women chefs and restaurant tours, or the Damascofier, or you know, because there are a few other women's groups for in the culinary world.
1: Yeah, th- there are, and and they've all have really do have their place. I think the fact that they've all maintained and and have been um, running for so long, you know, is testament to that. The New York Women's Culinary Alliance, first of all, it's in New York. It's a mm-hmm. tri-state area. So it's people that you are really working with and around in your day-to-day life. So it's very valid in that way. As I said before, there's such a broad uh, group of people. So it isn't just restaurateurs and chefs. It isn't just right. more like culinary professionals like the IACP. It's much more lo- – it's local, and then it's also very broad. Um And it makes it very interesting, interesting, interesting to people to talk to, even if it's not like someone you're looking to hire or that you're looking to talk to. It's sort of in a business way. It's just fascinating.
2: Yes, I agree. And I know from being the immediate past president that running an all-volunteer organization is tough. I would call myself the volunteer of all-volunteers which now that is you. <laughs> and I have to say the best decision I made as president was making you my vice.
1: Oh, you're the best. Though. No, I'm serious <laughs> because
2: you are incredible and and you uh, I don't know how you do it because you you run a restaurant, you have kids, and you're you're involved in other organizations as well and you're that woman that just makes it seem very easy to do. So how do you do it all?
1: How do I do it? I you know, you can't do it all, but I don't spend a lot of time worrying about what I am doing. I think that's probably my key, the key. So I don't I don't spend a lot of time thinking about oh I am tired and talking about that kind of stuff. You know, I'd rather just go and 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 do it. It's so rewarding. First of all, you know, I would it it would be sort of hypocritical for me to be complaining because even though I am incredibly busy, it's all so so rewarding. And um, I laugh that when you smile a lot, you don't need as much sleep. But <laughs> but it, it is, uh, you know, it, I'm involved with uh, start, you know, renovating a, a bar that's next to La Palapa called the Holiday Cocktail Lounge. That's going to be a fun new project. I'm involved in looking into all of this, the idea of being able to make real tortillas in New York uh, from fresh, from mm. corn, not, not fresh corn, but fresh masa. So where you take the corn and you soak it and you make your own tortillas. I'm doing a lot of work and research in that. And there's the New York Women's Culinary Alliance, which every week there's something interesting to do. So I just, you know, I just try to spend a lot of, you know, productive time and just enjoying it. And, of course, my kids, which are great, great fun. And luckily they love to eat, so they help me with that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, that's important. Okay, so last week I had on Farmer Lee Jones of The Chef's Garden, and I asked him to ask you a question. So he had two questions. The first was, is the New York Women's Culinary Alliance, is it a women's only organization, and or are there ways that men can get involved? Well, it has traditionally
1: been all women. There, it isn't necessarily all women, but it has been like that. We have guests that come to the events. The Members can bring guests, and we often have men and support. And we also support men and men's restaurants and men's businesses. Uh, it has been, it has maintained it's sort of it's women's membership. And I think it's because it is still tough uh, to get the support you need in this, in the industry uh, when you're a woman. And so it continues to grow and it continues to be valid and, and important.
2: Yes. I think he's just looking, you know, to, to support. So, um, But that's yes. uh, It is the best. The the best. The
1: best support would be to come, you know, come and enjoy and and enjoy a program with us or something.
2: Yes, and to reciprocate that, he wants to know if you will come out to his farm and the the Roots Conference coming up. uh, That's it's October nineteenth and twentieth in Ohio, and it's the second annual Chef Conference Roots two thousand fourteen, and he wanted to know if you would like to come out as his guest. Oh my gosh, that would be incredible.
1: I would love that. First of all, he is amazing. And then to be out there, I mean it's I think it's a it's a, it's a great conference. I'm so honored. Wow. Yes. Let me let me figure this out. I'd oh, love cool. to. Cool. <laughs> Ama-
2: I I would love to. You know, a lot I w- I'm loving yes, and 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 I will be out there, so I hope you can come. Oh, we'll have to great. talk about this after the show. Definitely. Definitely. Great. I'm glad that was your answer. Okay. So we're going to take another break here and we're going to come back and we're going to do my speed round game and talk some industry news. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Okay, we're back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Barbara Sibley. Now, Barbara, it is time for my speed round game. Are you ready? That's what I was about to say. You're going to start to get tricky on me. I was like,
1: oh, no. Okay, yes, I'm ready. As ready
2: as I'll ever be, I'll just go for it. This is fun. This is I name two things, you pick your preference. It's a really, it's not that tricky. Okay. But we'll see. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Eat in or eat out? Eat out. Wine, beer, or cocktail? Cocktail. Tasting menu or a la carte? Tasting menu. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. Camino table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Corn or flour tortillas? Corn. (laughs) I knew that. (laughs) This one I don't know. Frozen or on the rocks margarita? Oh... That is there. You just stumped me. I stumped you. <laughs> I, I thought you'd have a preference. It depends when. It depends Seasonal? when.
1: Seasonal? Seasonal. Seasonal.
2: <laughs> okay. <laughs> Cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate. Last one, Manhattan or Brooklyn? Manhattan. Great. You were awesome at this game. <laughs> How quick you I were. I know. Well, the thing with the margaritas, I also would have to say
1: I'm very picking that I like the frozen margaritas that I make. Because it is the Rock's margarita, but just frozen. It's not like, you know. It's
2: right. Not, and you that. do a bun. There's more than one flavor. Right. We do tamarind and hibiscus and
1: lo- and all the time I'm making new things. I just infused some tequila with cascabel chiles. And so that's, you know, so they're all good. So I, it's, love I just love the margaritas. <laughs> I can say I'll just take a margarita anyway. Okay. Anyhow. <laughs>
2: Good all of know. the above. Good to know. I did think maybe you had a preference, but hmm. all of the above. Okay, so let's talk some restaurant industry news. So first off, yesterday the the Michelin Guide came out. Uh, the it was this is the tenth edition they've done in New York, and it was in the New York Times on Eater. It was it was everywhere. Um, so basically, talking about who got stars, who got stars taken away. Did you uh did you see this news?
1: Yeah, I did. I was excited to see Lavara of Alex Rush mm-hmm. so that she's because she's a friend and I have to say I'm so proud of her. Um and I've always you know, it's I have a mixed feeling about the Michelin guide because sometimes it's a little mysterious. Yes, I agree.
2: I mean it's it's it is mysterious. But, uh, and yeah,
1: and on the other hand, sometimes you go to restaurants and it's mysterious. You can go to like the smallest place and have the most amazing, amazing, amazing meal, and you can go to some place that's incredibly um, steeped in
2: tradition and reputation and uh, eat. You know. Yes, I think it's just hard to rate restaurants. The more I think about it, because they're all such different experiences, levels of uh, the type of. Uh, cuisine, the type of setting, the style, and to give one star to a, you know, a, a, a tablecloth restaurant, and then a one star to a non-tablecloth restaurant, and you're kind of how are you comparing those two? But so it always seems tricky to me. Yeah, definitely, definitely.
1: this I say, I say it's a little bit mysterious.
2: Yes, and I mean just to, to talk about some of the things that were noted in these articles. So. New York now has three has six three star restaurants. They took away a star from Danielle, uh, and you know I I need to get back to Danielle. Do you want to go? Because <laughs> yes, let's go. I'm a huge fan, and I I haven't been there in a couple of years, and and I've I I think it deserves all the stars in the world based on my experiences. So I'm, I'm I was kind of surprised to see that. Um, They also, there were some new two-star restaurants. There was Aquavit Blanca, which is here in the backyard of Roberta's and Ichimura. And there were a bunch of one-stars, a a lot in Brooklyn. And actually, the place I'm doing my solo dining experience later in the show received one star. It's MeadowSweet. So I was excited to see that because I had a great meal there. Um, But also there was M. Wells, Batard, Bettany, Zizi's clam bar. These are all now new one-star Michelin and a couple that we've been to. So I was fun. It
1: was fun to. It's fun to see them there. Yeah. You know, I I think that everyone in the restaurant business, rest,
2: you know, it's hard work. So getting recognition is great. Yes, absolutely. Well, congratulations to everyone. And next article I had in Bon Appetit, they were talking about Estella, how the president visited last week and. Estella is a small restaurant on Houston Street that it got Bon Appetit's number three on their list this this year of best new restaurants. Um, Chef Ignacio Matos is, is doing wonderful food. It's very loved by the industry. And so it was exciting to see that this is where Obama was going to dine because most of the places he's gone in New York have been, I think he's gone to Blue Hill and, and a little more fine dining-esque Restaurants and this is more casual. Yeah,
1: I hear he loves Mexican food,
2: so I'm hoping he'll come to La Palapa. Well, that would be great. I was going to ask you that. <laughs> we, I mean, it would be wonderful. I mean, the pressure though, and the the scrutiny of what you're doing in the kitchen with all whole... oh, it's tremendous scrutiny. We had once uh, we had
1: someone come who was its secretary of defense, and we didn't know, and all of a sudden these guys came in from the Secret Service, and we're like, you're joking, right? this is a joke. It's a prank, right? <laughs> we didn't know. We didn't even know. So they came to do a sweep and we're like, okay. So I'm sure that Estella had some advance notice though. For that. Yeah,
2: I'm, I'm sure. And I don't know, this article cited what he had. He had the burrata with salsa verde and bread and two endive salads and tomatoes and croquettes, if anyone cares to know what the president ate. And it was just so funny. The other night I was at a Tokla Society event at DBGB and I was leaving and I decided to stop in Estella because I'd never had the beef tartare with sunchoke that everyone talks about. So I went in and I sat at the bar and I ended up staying longer because I, I recognized sitting next to me was Paul Carmichael who's the chef at Ma Pesh. and I ended up staying for a while and he was like sharing his food with me and it was really fun and the place is, just has a cool vibe to it. So that's an oh. extra solo dining experience for this episode. <laughs> that, sounds, that was fun. Fun. Well, great timing. Yeah, it was. It was, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think it's cool. And actually, just to note, though, Estella did not get a Michelin star. They weren't. And I didn't even see it. I think the media didn't even kind of pick up on that. But it's gotten so many accolades this year, and they didn't get that. But um, it's a great restaurant. Great. We'll have to go. We will have to go. Okay. Um, today in the New York Times, Pete Wells reviewed Cherish Midi, which is Keith McNally's uh, place he turned, uh, was it, Polino's into. And I went there, solo dining experience. Uh, I had a great, I had just had the burger, which is awesome. Um, he gave it two stars. He really liked it. Oh, that's great. Have you, have you, have you no, been
1: No, I, ha- I haven't been. I mean, it's very close to me, um, but I haven't, I haven't been there yet. Um. Uh, you know, McNally—they, they do things so well. So, their whole team is great.
2: They do. They, they have. Is it? I mean, it was noting the style he does with restaurants—that is kind of his signature, his signature look with distressed mirrors and chipped subway tiles. And this was the bathroom I, I talked about in the show, where it's, it's a unisex bathroom, but you don't even know it when you walk in because they're separate doors. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, they're just clever and and kind of. And trendy, but in yeah. you know, but comfortable, big, but mm-hmm. all at the same time, great hospitality. I would say, yes. Um, so no, I was happy, happy to see that it was a great review for them. Uh, and then the last thing I'll I'll note, I just saw in the New York Times, uh, Florence Fabricant wrote how Joe Rubishon is reopening his lit. Le- Atelier, if I'm saying that right, uh, it was in the Four Seasons Hotel, and it closed in 2012. And now they're opening down in Battery Park City at the Brookfield Place. Oh well, that's great. Well, she always has such you know knows everything that's happening. She does.
1: Um, and but the thing I've noticed, haven't you, that there are quite a few restaurants that are feeling okay in moving. Like that's not. I think that's a really a new trend. Well, know these people that mm-hmm. you know, okay, we're going to close and we're going to reopen somewhere else.
2: Well, closings that have happened are you because of rent increases uh, or just? I think that's a large part of why Mostly, people, yeah, leases leases expiring and things. But
1: um, I think it just seems. I mean, even Union Square Cafe, they're thinking that they'll probably yeah, move it as opposed to just close.
2: Well, everyone, I mean. It's it's been here a long time, and I think it's got. I think people would be sad to see it just close. Uh, yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. But I think it's something new—the idea yeah. that you you don't change your concept and you you move it.
2: Yes, true. But you told me not now, but off the air that you've renewed your lease for La Palapa.
1: Yeah, that's it's great. It's great to to know that uh, I'll be on that wonderful block for
2: many more years. Yes, and that's great. And and we didn't. We we'll just touch on this. There's a lot in Mexican cuisine that's sort of happening in New York. There's some new openings and things. I think it's an exciting time for, for Mexican. Yeah, so it's
1: a very. It, it is. There, it's really a wonderful moment. I mean, it's a moment that I've worked towards in a way um, because it took so long for people to really, really accept authentic Mexican cuisine, and now there's some openings. Uh, Enrique Olvera's just you know, opened Cosme. So I'm Mm -hmm. hoping it would be wonderful for a Mexican restaurant in New York to get some stars. Maybe that'll happen soon. Uh, Because I think that that has been the trend. And this is this Michelin list is different in that, you know, it's more eclectic than it has been in the past. It's been very, you know, French centric or you know very high end centric Um, so yeah they're great openings and there's a lot of excitement I just feel like New York is embracing Mexican food in a way it never has before and I'm very excited it makes it so much more inspiring for me to know that I can just do any any crazy taco I want people will be willing to try it and enjoy it
2: I will try it
1: (laughs) good (laughs) come
2: (laughs) I will Okay, great. We're going to take one more break here, and we're going to come back. I'm going to do my solo dining experience. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. (laughs) Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Baer, and it's time for my solo dining experience of the week. Now, this week, as I noted earlier, I checked out a fairly new Brooklyn restaurant called Meadows Suite. Now, what happened was I was out in East Williamsburg. I have a new client that's opening out there on Graham Graham Street, and I decided afterwards to walk over to South Williamsburg because I like figuring out how neighborhoods are connected (laughs) rather than just popping out on the subway. So I walked over to South Williamsburg to go to Meadowsweet, And this is right across, it's across from Peter Luger's, just to give a reference point. And this restaurant replaced Dressler, which was a, a pioneering restaurant in the neighborhood in the same space. And the chef is Polo Dopkin, and he was also the chef at Dressler, and he had received a Michelin star um, then. So I went in, I sat at the bar, and... I ordered the roasted baby carrots that had labneh, za'atar, and honey, and they were these very cute, precious baby carrots. They were great. Uh, For my entree, I got the plancha marina, which to me was like a fancy seafood bouillabaisse without the stew, if that makes any sense. (laughs) But that's how I felt. It had had lots of seafood, like scallops, head-on shrimp, and it it just didn't have a huge broth. It was a little sauce at at the bottom, and it was delicious. And then I treated myself to dessert because I always skip dessert when I'm solo. And I went with the coconut ice cream pie with graham crust and raspberries. And it was awesome. I became friendly with the bartenders, Tien and Nick. They were very nice. They took great care of me. I would definitely recommend this place. So their website is meadowsweetnyc.com. So... You wanna to go to you wanna to go to Williamsburg with me too? Yes. <laughs>
1: absolutely. <We have> to, <laughs> I'd love to. I
2: could go to Brooklyn a lot. It was, oh yes. yes.
1: Yeah. It's definitely
2: it sounds delicious. Yeah, it was I'm, great. Okay, so Barbara, we're getting to the end of the show, so I want to see if for my final question, if you can ask a question to my guest next week. I am having on Daniel Gross of Hospitality Three Sixty. Which is a new NYC hospitality consulting group, and they're helping restaurateurs coordinate and integrate technology so they operate more smoothly and more cost-efficiently. And um, I'm looking forward to talking to him and his team. So, well,
1: it's interesting. You know, I always think restaurateurs don't have a lot of extra time, so sometimes it's hard to uh, to start something new. So my question to him was, would be what was his greatest challenge? In getting a res- getting restaurant owners to ad- adopt a new technology—that's
2: great. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think I think it's getting. Yeah, because uh, sometimes it, people yeah. really
1: want to change and improve and do things, and it, there are things that that make it difficult. Yeah, you know, time or fear of technology. I'm wondering, like, what what is this greatest challenge? Interesting.
2: Yeah, I'll be. In, in, I'm interested in finding out what he has to say, and then you can also ask him if he likes
1: them better margaritas better on the rocks or frozen you could ask him that too
2: okay (laughs) (laughs) i will ask him that too anything else i should ask nope that's it (laughs) awesome well any 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 final thoughts then before we go no it's it's
1: lovely it's great to be here thank you so much for having me it's a great afternoon here at roberta's on heritage radio thanks so much
2: you're welcome i'm so glad you were able to come out and we were able to talk about everything you're you're doing so I've been speaking with Barbara Sibley. She is the owner and chef of La Palapa, and she is the president of the New York Women's Culinary Alliance. Their websites are lapalapa.com and nywca.org. Now, let me go through social media handles. We've got at Barbara Sibley, at la underscore palapa, and at nywca. I'm at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, and at All Industry. And my website is BayerPublicRelations.com. So thank you so much for joining me today. I am, if anyone out there misses an episode, you can always find us archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We're also on Stitcher and iTunes. Thanks to my engineer, Jack. And thanks everyone out there listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And I hope you'll tune in again next week when I'm back at 4 o'clock for another live show. So till then, have a great week. Bye.